If you want to take your Bibles out, uh, go ahead and, and do that now. We're going to be in the book of Luke again today. Um, I promise you, if you don't normally have your Bible out, you'll want to have it out today because we have a lot of verses I'm going to read, and you're not going to want to stare at me the whole time, I promise. Um, I'm not even wearing my good shirt today, so that just wouldn't do you any good. Um, so we're going to be in, in the book of Luke. If you're kind of newer with us, what we'd like to do as a church is walk through books of the Bible together. So uh, we'd like to see what the Lord has for us at all, in all the different corners of Scripture. And so that's what we have right now that we're doing in the book of Luke. And so we've kind of so far, we've seen in our first couple of weeks in this series that, that God works in, in unexpected ways through unexpected people to keep his perfect promises. In our first week in the book of Luke, we saw God meeting a priest, Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth. These people past their prime, past their childbearing years, and he meets them and he promises them a child who will be John the Baptist. We see him working in an unexpected way in uh, coming to this virgin who's betrothed. He comes to Mary in the latter part of uh, chapter one, the part that we were in this last Sunday. He comes to her and he says, you are going to be the one who carries this Messiah, this anointed one, the promised one from the prophets of old. And today, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled about this section we get to look at. We get to look at two incredible hymns of praise. There's these hymns of praise to God coming from Mary and coming from Zechariah. And they're praising God for what he is doing in Jesus. Praising God for what he is doing in Jesus. And so we're going to tackle verses 39 to 80 uh, this morning. Maybe the longest chapter in the Bible, 80 verses. So 39 through 80, if you want to look there with me in Luke chapter 1. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Listen to what Mary says. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. 
And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenants, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's go to God again. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. We pray, God, that you would, from looking at these hymns of praise to you, that you would promote that in our own hearts this morning, Lord. We ask for your help to understand these words, God, and we ask that you would stir us up, Lord, in our love for Jesus, and that it would be evident in our lives. Lord, we pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, No Advent hymn lyric Uh, captures the mood of early first century Palestine better than the first verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This is one of my favorite uh, Christmas hymns. You know, you you hear kind of the the moody minor chords at the beginning of the song, and it leads to maybe you coming into this pensive place. And then the words come, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom, Captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. God's people, Israel, they're under a foreign power. There's been 400 years of silence with no prophets receiving a word from the Lord. And the people are still waiting for the promised Messiah. This anointed one who is supposed to save his people, who's supposed to set things right. God's people are longing for him to visit them. They're longing for him to appear. And maybe even as we looked at in the story of Zechariah, as Gabriel comes to him and reminds him of this prayer he once had for a child, 
Maybe even as Zacharias seemed to have abandoned praying for a child, some of the people of God have stopped praying for him to visit. Maybe some of them have even lost hope that he will do what he said he was going to do. After all, it's been so long. Are God's promises true? Will he actually keep them? These questions, are, they're not unfamiliar to us, are they? We ask them too in so many various ways in our own lives. But to those questions, are God's promises true? Will he keep them? Uh, like a flash of lightning against the dark backdrop that the Israelites find themselves in front of, Jesus is arriving onto the scene. The, the pent-up expectation, the wishing, the waiting, the hoping, it's all been gathering up like, like water gathering up behind a dam. And it's threatening to burst through that dam. And what we see in these verses today, especially in Mary's song of praise and in Zechariah's song of praise, is, is we see that water breaking through that dam. We see in these verses an explosion of joyful praise to God. The Lord is visiting his longing people. God in his mercy, he's keeping his perfect promises to his people and his people are responding with joyful praise. Look again there, verses 39 to 45. After Mary, we, we learned last week, she receives from, from the Lord through Gabriel that she is gonna carry the Messiah. After she humbly receives the promise that God is going to conceive in her Jesus, that she will give birth to Jesus, she sets out on a journey. And, and, and it's clear that this is a journey and not just a sort of afternoon walk one town over. She leaves from her home in Nazareth and goes all the way to the hill country of Judea. You know, some, would, some would estimate this to be you know, somewhere between 80 to 100 miles. This is a journey. Uh, this is taking you know, three to four days possibly for Mary. And so she's, she's driven to, to take this journey. And when she finally arrives at Elizabeth, her relative's house, <clears throat> Elizabeth knows what has happened to Mary before she even has the chance to tell her, before she even opens her mouth to tell her the news of what Gabriel has come to share with her. It says that John leaped in Elizabeth's womb when she heard Mary's greeting. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She knew that Mary was carrying an extraordinary child. This, this is kind of a pattern that, that we'll see all throughout Luke's writing, in the book of Luke and then in Acts as well, that the Holy Spirit comes and visits a person and when the Holy Spirit does that, he centers that person on the person of Jesus. He, he points them to Jesus. And this being filled with the Holy Spirit, it leads Elizabeth to ask a significant question. It's probably the most significant piece that we find in 39 to 45. Elizabeth says this. She asks, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Did you catch that? She says, the mother of my Lord. Elizabeth, she's the first person in the book of Luke to give that title to Jesus himself. The first person to call Jesus her Lord. This is a title, the reason this is significant, this is a title that's given to God. It's a title that, that is assigned to God. And yet here is Elizabeth assigning it to Jesus. It shows us that Elizabeth, she knows that the baby that Mary is carrying 
is none other than the divine Messiah himself, the promised one of God who will save and set things right. These longing people looking for the Messiah, 400 years of silence, the Lord is visiting them in their longing. And the joy of Elizabeth jumps off the page for us in these verses. We see that that she's filled with blessing towards Mary, that she's filled with amazement that her Lord would visit her in this moment. And the joy that Elizabeth has, it's, it's not contained to her because Mary, she exhibits this same joy in, in herself. She responds with joyful praise for what God is doing in her through Jesus. It's what we see in 46 uh, to 55. You know, e- even as... Uh, as Aaron so helpfully showed us last week, when we think about Mary, we think about her joy in this moment. She's been brought into this redemptive story, God's plan of salvation. She's been brought into this from the most humble and the most obscure beginnings. You'll remember we we talked about her being from this out-of-the-way backwater town in Nazareth. We talked about her being too poor to bring a lamb to sacrifice at the temple. And she's this teenager, one who's 12 to 14 years old, and yet she is the one carrying the Messiah who will come to save his people from obscurity to this moment of carrying the Messiah. And so her joy leaps off the page as well. God is looking on Mary's humble estate, it says there in the text, by God's immense grace. He is involving Mary in his plan to bring grace to the world. Mary, this humble servant who says, let it be according to your word, is now this humble worshiper. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Rejoicing in God's grace that's working through her. Rejoicing in the truth that God has always been working for the good of his people. Throughout the generations, she even speaks to there in verse 48. She's praising God for visiting his people with mercy, for being strong enough also to set things right. You know, we see that there in in her song of praise as well. Mary knows that Jesus' coming means something for the people of God. She knows that his coming, his reign, it means that there's going to be this great reversal that's set into motion in Jesus. The proud of this world, those who think they are mighty, those who would boast in their riches, all of these people who would live live as if there is no God in the world, they are going to be brought low, Mary says. The humble, the trampled on, the poor of this world, all people who know humility, who know dependency, they will be the ones who are exalted she says. And she speaks about these things in such an interesting way, doesn't she? She uses this past tense language. She says that God has done these things. And what we know about this is that she's speaking in what was called the prophetic tense. She's speaking in this way that expresses a confidence in the reality that God is going to do this, that he will accomplish this. It's a certainty. It's as if it's already been done. As she utters those words of the the humble being exalted, the proud being brought low, there's no doubt she has God's people, his chosen people, Israel, on her mind. 
But as, as we come to see in Jesus' ministry, those words apply to more than just Israel at that time. These words also, they speak to the dividing lines that are present in people's hearts. Jesus in his ministry, he will even rebuke Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes of Israel. These people who wield power as if God is not ultimately over them. There are these figures in Israel who get, they get rich off of their own people. They get fat off of their own people. And they are rebuked all the same. So the proud who reject Jesus, they will be scattered. They will be brought down. They will be made destitute. The humble who accept Jesus... They're going to be welcomed in. They're going to be exalted. They're going to be made full because of Jesus. And then look there, 54 and 55. Mary connects all that is happening in Jesus to God's covenant promises in Abraham. God in his mercy coming to his people is ultimately it's the fulfillment of of what he said he was going to accomplish when he made promises to Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis. Back in, in Genesis chapter 22, God declares that through the seed of Ab Abraham, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. It says all the nations will be blessed through Abraham. How would God bring that to pass? This incredible promise that he would make to his servant Abraham. The plan was that Israel was supposed to be a living testimony of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness to the nations. But when we look through the Old Testament, it's really this story of Israel repeatedly failing to live in a way that would be a blessing to the nations. The, the promise that God had made to Abraham has yet to come to pass, but through Jesus it is coming to pass. Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the one who can bring to pass the promise to Abraham. Where the nation stumbled, Jesus' footing will be sure. Where their obedience to the covenant faltered, Jesus' will flourish. The true Israel is here in the Messiah. Through Jesus, the promise made to Abraham will be fully realized. God in his mercy keeps his perfect promises. He keeps his perfect promises. And this, this is not only good news for, for first, century, first century Israelites. This, this is good news for each of us here today. Because of what God has accomplished through Jesus, we, each of us in this room, we can receive the blessing that's intended for the nations. The, the alienation from God that defines each and every person and defines each of us in this room, it can be dealt with because Jesus has visited his people. Our alienation from God remedied because the sinless spotless savior has visited and redeemed he's done that through his perfect obedience through his sacrificial death and so i would just say for for brothers and sisters in christ in this room this morning does that truth does it still captivate your heart 
Does it still rest on your heart and captivate you? That Jesus visited you? That he brought you to God? Are you moved to joyful praise when you think about how lost you were? When you think about the deep mercy and the deep kindness of God toward you. The Lord Jesus Christ has visited you. If this news, if it still captivates you, praise the Lord that that is true, that that can be said of you. And if it, if it does not this morning, if you find yourself spiritually lethargic, if you find yourself disbelieving the promises, the perfect promises of God towards you, I pray that, that God might increase your joy. I pray that, that he would do this through helping you see Jesus in a fresh way, that he would maybe even do that through this passage. Because what we know in, in the Christian life is that seeing Jesus in all of his fullness and all that he intends to be for us is what fuels joy for us as Christians. It's what fuels joyful praise like we see coming from the lips of Mary here. And so now, now we come down from the heights of praise for a few verses. We come back into a bit of a narrative section in chapter, or in verse 57. And in 57 to 66, we have the birth of John taking place. The, the longing parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they've been given a son. And what we know about him is he's not just any son, but he's the prophet of the Most High. He's the one who will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. The one that Malachi talked about in chapter 4 of his book. And we see in, in 57 through 66 that Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're, they're being obedient to God's command through Gabriel. You know, if, we, if you weren't here with us two weeks ago, when we were looking at Zechariah's encounter with the angel Gabriel, we saw him doubting this promise that God was making for him to have a son. He was getting old. Him and, him and Elizabeth had sort of maybe even closed the door on this dream to have a child. And he was doubting that this promise could actually come to pass for them. And, and he was silenced for that. His speech was literally taken away from him for the duration of uh, the pregnancy. <clears throat> but then here when John comes into the picture, we see that, that his trust in God has grown over these nine months. That as he's dwelt in silence, as he's had nothing but his thoughts possibly to, to occupy him, something that would drive some of us in this room crazy, uh, he's had time to, to process what's happening. He's had this journey where his trust in God has grown and he speaks about the name of John. He comes in and supports his wife declaring this name John by saying his name is John. He says, I haven't named this child. He's been named by another. Trust. Zechariah is trusting that the promise has come to pass. And the neighbors who are gathered, these seemingly somewhat nosy neighbors at times, uh, sticking their nose into, the, into their business, they're kind of dumbstruck by the whole set of events that are happening. You know, they're, they're witnessing miraculous things at a time in Israel's history uh, when, when belief in God carrying out promises, when belief in God acting for his people is at an all-time 
low. And so they're left dumbstruck. They're left wondering what this child is going to be. And you imagine it's leading them to, to even wonder, could it be that the promises that were made so long ago are actually coming to pass? What should they make of all of this, of John's birth here? Zechariah tells them. He, he provides prophetic words of praise that answers their questions. And like Mary, in, in her song of praise, Zechariah, he rejoices in the promised Messiah arriving on the scene. The doubting, the silence that once defined him, it gives way to him declaring and delighting. Zechariah is filled with joy. After his speech returns, it tells us there in verse 67 that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. This sounds familiar to us. We just heard this with Elizabeth as well. And he prophesies to the significance of Jesus' coming. He does this in, in verses 68 to 75. And he talks as well about the significance of his son John and his ministry that he's going to have. And so the Holy Spirit, he visits again, just as he visited Elizabeth. And when he visits, he centers this person on Jesus, points them to Jesus. Look at 68 to 69 again with me, where it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Throughout the people's history, they have been visited by God. You know, when they, when, they would, when they would have thought of a time when they were visited, maybe their minds would have gone to thinking about God's visitation to the people of Israel in exile in Egypt. Would have thought about this time maybe when the, the people were led out of their slavery to the Egyptians. They were led by this cloud during the day, this pillar of fire by night. This visitation from God that brought salvation to the people of God. You know, when, when God visits uh, to redeem, when he visits in salvation, it is the loveliest reality in all of the world. And this is what's happening. Zechariah is overjoyed because he realizes that God is visiting in salvation, that this loveliest thing is actually happening for him. This, this horn of salvation, it says there, Jesus Christ himself, this one who's the Messiah King, and the line of David is visiting his people. When we look all the way back, if we were to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see God making this covenant with David. And when he makes this covenant, he says that David's house and David's kingdom shall be made sure forever. That David's throne shall be established forever. And here we have the one who is called the Messiah King sitting on the throne of David. Here enters whom, the person who we know to be the eternal one, Jesus himself, this one who will not be bound by death. Think about that even with me. Jesus, the eternal one, enters into the scene. He's the one who cannot be bound by death. One writer puts this in helpful terms where he says this. He says, 
there are two ways in which God could give David an eternal house. It could be that every descendant would be successful in producing a male heir, something that has always created problems for every human royal house. Or it could be that someday a descendant would be born who would never die. According to the New Testament, this is what happened. The promise of an eternal house is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, a descendant of David, who because of his resurrection is an eternal person. The promise made to David all those years ago is coming to pass. Mary is pregnant with the promised king who will sit on the throne of David forever. He will rule on the throne of David forever. The perfect promises of God are being fulfilled. And Zechariah, he's rightly responding with joyful praise. And, and we can have this same confidence in God's promises to us even today. We can have just as much confidence as Zechariah has, as Mary has. You know, think about his promise, God's promise to leave us, to never forsake us. Think about his promise to finish the good work he started in us. Think about his promise to return for us, to return to take us home to be with him. We can confidently lean on all of those promises. And we can do that because God's track record is perfect. His promises are perfect. He always fulfills them. And then the last thing I want to note here is, is Zachariah's praise coming through in such poetic language towards the end of his song. Look in 76 to 77, where he says that all of this is happening because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Those living in darkness at this time, those despondent over their condition, they see this great light that promises to drive away the darkness. Those living in a world broken by their sin, broken by the sin of others. They place their hope in this Savior, this Savior who will show mercy, this Savior who will forgive sin, this Savior who will bring peace. The sunrise, it says, is dawning. It's dawning on a world sitting in darkness. The shadow of death is set to be extinguished through Jesus. Joy is, is dawning in the hearts of Mary, in the hearts of Elizabeth, and, and in Zechariah. Joy is dawning because hope is coming down to them. And I don't want us to miss the parallel that we see for us this morning. You know, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you were here this morning, and maybe you even are weary, maybe these promises seem distant to you, I want to remind you that joy has dawned for you. I want to remind you that while you sat in darkness, when you were blinded by your own sinfulness, when you were blinded by the brokenness of the world, 
Jesus arrived. Jesus showed himself to you. He showed himself to you in all of his radiant splendor. The desolate, the cold, the bleak landscape of your heart was warmed up, was made alive. Joy has dawned in your heart. From alienated from God, your sins have been forgiven and you are now the adopted of God. From longing to be fully known, from longing to be fully loved, longing to be fully welcomed in by someone in this world, anyone in this world, to finding those things in Jesus Christ himself. From empty, from longing to be fully satisfied, to finding full satisfaction and fellowship with Jesus Christ. From spiritually thirsty, from longing for meaning, to drinking deeply from the fountain of life that flows from Jesus. Joy has dawned. It's dawned in your hearts, brother and sister in Christ. You have been visited by mercy. You've been visited by Jesus himself. And now what we know is that when Jesus visits, nothing will ever be the same, will it? We can praise God that, that in his mercy, he keeps his perfect promises so that we can respond with joyful praise. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we are so humbled, Lord, by your visitation to us. The psalmist says, who are we that you are mindful of us? God, we are but a breath here today, gone tomorrow, and yet you still, in your mercy, in your kindness, come for us, Lord. You still choose to visit us in Jesus Christ, Lord. God, I have no doubts that in this room this morning, there are many who carry heavy burdens, Lord, many who find themselves despondent, distant from you, maybe even uh, in, in a, a deep depression, Lord, feeling as if the promises that you make to, to never leave, to never forsake, to come back for us, Lord, that these promises are, are not for them specifically, Lord. But when we look at the, the perfect promises that you made and that you fulfilled in Jesus, the promise you made to Abraham, to David, and that hundreds, even thousands of years later, you brought to pass, Lord. We have evidence that you are a God who makes perfect promises. You are a God who does not just say things without desiring to follow through on them, Lord, but for those who are here who know Jesus, Lord, who put their faith in you. They can trust, Lord, that you have not abandoned them, Lord, that you are near to them. 
that you have visited them in salvation, Lord, and that you continually come to them and visit them, that you are near to the brokenhearted even, Lord. And so let this be water for our souls, Lord. Let it, let it floor us that you would be so kind and so generous to us to consider us in that way, God. So Lord, in this season of, of thinking about your promises, Lord, of looking to you, looking to Jesus, God, we continue to pray that you would help us to see him afresh, to see him in this fresh light. Lord, as, as everything that we need to be made right with you, God, as everything we need to, to make it through this life that can be so difficult, Lord, as everything the church needs to be unified, to exhibit the love of God to the world around us, Lord. <clears throat> the resource that we are looking for is Jesus. He is our source, Lord. And so let us look to him this morning, Father. We're so grateful for you, so grateful for the good news of Jesus, the gospel that we have to gather around. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.